So before the podcast begins, let me tell you a little bit about um, how Fish Food Podcast um, got started. Um, it was really born out of conflict and struggle. Uh, some of it was my own struggles as a pastor, um, coupled with over 20 years of hearing thousands of others facing difficult circumstances. And I believe that humble vulnerability is begin- the beginning of not only surviving a hard situation, but actually thriving in the midst of it. And these are stories are um, of stories of real people that are confronted with how to respond to their struggles while learning to trust in God's mercy and grace. And if you like what you hear, three things would be incredibly helpful. One, pass it along. If you know of someone that these podcasts would benefit, please share. We are creating these for that purpose. Uh, Second, become a patron. In order to produce more content, and we want to do video, podcast, and print, we need your support. Visit fishfood.me and click on support and become a patron. If you're like me, you'll, you'll, you'll hear this, you'll put it off and forget to do it. So do it now. Um, as soon as you can pull over or turn off the iron or stop washing the dishes or however you're listening to the podcast, um, go to the website and click on patron. Uh, and then thirdly, if you or someone you know has a story of God's restorative mercy and are willing to share, please write to us. We'd love to hear your story and we might be able to use it um, for a future podcast. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, folks. This is your host, Corey Pelton, and this is Fish Food, providing morsels of hope to a hungry world. Because I knew as soon as I came to the office, I felt like I had to perform I had to people please. I had to solve problems. I couldn't say no. It was more godly to burn yourself out than it was to rest. Uh, It was a lack of faith. It was a lack of trust. It was a lack of um, understanding how God's gifted me and different roles of authority. Our guest today on Fish Food is Andy Lewis. He is the pastor of Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. All right, uh, Andy, thank you for being with us on Fish Food. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, glad to do it. It's my honor and yeah, privilege. Well, I know it's uh, take, taking time out of your day to do this, and that's uh, that's... A wonderful thing. Thank yeah, you. It's fun. No, thanks cool. for asking. So you're a pastor of Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church. How long have yep. you been here? So I've been here now for um, almost a little over 20 years. Came right out of college as the youth pastor in uh, 1997. And then uh, stayed here while we went to seminary and assistant pastor for a couple years after that. And then senior pastor for 10 plus years or so 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 you then so where'd you grow up then so my family's all from the north basically um pennsylvania western pennsylvania and then we moved down to rock hill rock thrill as i like to call it south carolina 
so my junior high years, high school years were there. Uh, so I didn't know Greenville really. Um, I don't think I actually ever visited here until I took the job. I think that was the first time I ever visited wow. Greenville. Yeah. So you, uh, how did you get into ministry then? Did, were you? Yeah, my dad took me when we moved south from the Pittsburgh area. My my dad was asked at work all the time, "Where do you go to church?" And he didn't have an answer. And he uh, was not is not um, that I know of a believer. But he said, "We've got to go to church because that's what everybody does in the South." And I don't want business connections to be hurt. So. I, I still remember he dropped me off. I was 14 uh, to this youth group, which was just the closest church to our house. And he said, this is just kind of like Boy Scouts. You get to go whitewater rafting and on ski trips, and it's just kind of what we do in the South. So just go to youth so. group, and you don't have to believe any of this. I don't believe any of this, but this is just what we do. And uh, so that was my first experience into church world um and so it was i i didn't come from like the normal kind of background of christian home i didn't know the story of david and goliath until i was like 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. um i just didn't grow up in a a church home like that so Mm -hmm. through that process i became a believer and then uh, it's a longer story but through that process uh eventually came into ministry now, where'd you go to uh, school, university? Yeah, so we went from there. I went to um, Erskine College, uh, basically just to chase a girl and uh, to play a couple sports. It was small enough that I could do that. Um, and it was at Erskine where I think I, I had a, a real double life in high school. Um, I'm not sure how much of this is just autobiography that will be interesting or how much is just interesting to me but I had hardly any rules in high school like don't get drunk and drive drunk and don't get a girl pregnant were kind of my parameters but I had become a Christian so I really lived a duplicitous life I was playing in a band and um, kind of out on the weekends but then I'd go to youth group on Sunday night um, and I was just kind of had a foot in both worlds for a long time there and then once I went to college, not intending to study anything but business is what I wanted to study, mm-hmm. um, I started to move a little bit towards philosophy, and I, I started to get actually academically interested in some of those concepts. And then I had a couple professors um, that actually really loved Jesus and, and just took me under their wings, not only theologically, but just personally, and filled in a lot of gaps for me. And that's where I... I think I started to connect the dots between my my experience as a 14-year-old becoming a Christian and then having theological constructs that kind of put those things together mm-hmm. and biblical constructs that helped me understand what faith actually was. So coming out of Erskine, um, you got a, a, a job as a youth director here at Mitchell Road. Mm-hmm. And were you going then to RTS Charlotte? Were you commuting? Or? No. Uh, Well, I took the job at Mitchell Road only because my wife was a year behind. Mm -hmm. And um, the guy who led me to the Lord when I was 14, Todd Erickson, was, he called me up and said, uh, he was either going to go to 
Mitchell Road or this place called Christ Community in Nashville. And he said, look, you gotta wait on your wife to graduate before you can marry her anyway, so, or your future wife, so why don't you just give me two years in youth ministry, then y'all can get married, and then you can go get your MBA or your law degree, which is what I wanted to do, and you can be done with the rest of your life, you know, go on your, the road you think you have planned for yourself. And so two years in youth ministry turned into three years in youth ministry. And then I decided to go to seminary not to be a pastor. I wanted to be a professor. Um, got into a PhD program and realized, mm, I'm not sure this is what it's cracked up to be. And at that point, I think I knew God was calling me into ministry. I just didn't want to do it. And my heart is such that God has to basically use carrots to get me to obey. Like if he, <laughs> I'm just not obedient enough. And so if he said, my plan for you is to be a pastor, I would have just run for Montana right. and tried to hide from him. So he basically backdoored me into youth ministry, got me to seminary with the promise of being a professor somewhere, and then uh, got me into assistant pastor and got me into being a senior pastor through a bunch of bait and switches. <laughs> it's kind of how he had to accommodate to my disobedience. And it, that took a long process. I didn't, and maybe this is part of my story, not growing up in a church home, I, I had no model of what a pastor mm. should or would be besides guys I saw on TV, and I right. knew I wasn't like them. Mm -hmm. and pastors to me seem devoid of personality or devoid of struggle and it didn't seem like they enjoyed life or music or food or anything else and th those are all conceptions that I had as a high school kid so when the Lord started moving me more towards ministry it just took a long time to figure out what that would look like for me. I just didn't think my personality fit the mold right. of being a pastor. Um, so yeah, that's how it kind of, it's, I have a kind of a different road. To answer your question, I went to Erskine Seminary gotcha. Uh, gotcha. for a couple years. Right, right. Uh, just because it, I could get in and out in, in two yeah. years. And when you, I mean, and you have an unusual, um, it was an unusual transition mm -hmm. when you came on as the senior pastor here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. Can you talk about that for just a second? How that how that happened? Yeah, it's um, it was a unique experience. The the prior pastor, uh, Randy Smith, who's a great friend of mine to this day, uh, decided that he was called more towards a counseling practice. So he left the senior pastor ministry to go into counseling and pastoral counseling, and he suggested that I would take his position. Of course. You can't just do that in our Presbyterian <laughs> circles. So we had to go through the whole process uh, of sorting through that and whether I was called, whether the church wanted to call me. And it was good. You know, the best thing, looking back now, the best thing about it is at that point, I had already been rebuked by elders for stupid things I did when I was a youth pastor. Uh, they had seen... Uh, my wife and I have three kids. They had seen us grow up. They had seen us make uh, mistakes. And so the benefit of staying at the church and kind of matriculating through 
was I couldn't really impress them. They already knew mm-hmm. who Andy yeah. was. I still tried to, which is part of my story. Um, but there's also a great freedom to know that I was already known by them, and they were already kind of known by me. We already saw each other's warts. Right, right. So was it? do you think it was a hard for the church? Was it hard to... Because typically what I've seen is that mm-hmm. when a church begins looking for a new pastor, they tend to look for somebody who has had lots mm-hmm. of experience, especially in the size mm-hmm. um, of a church like Mitchell Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it hard for some people to wrap their heads around hiring somebody that was already in the church and that was, how old were you when? I was um, 31. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. that's young for a church yeah. this size. Yeah, looking back, and I've told some of the elders who were on the committee at that time, uh, looking back, I think I was actually the wrong hire. <laughs> I, I don't think 31 is necessarily too young to be a senior pastor. I think 31 was too young to be the senior pastor of a church like Mitchell Road. Mm. And that's nothing against um, who this bride is. I I love this church. I loved her then. I love her now. Um, But probably what they needed and who I was, there was a bit of conflict there that we had to kind of work through. Mm. Um, And so it was difficult. And yeah, there were, of course, some people who were upset. I mean, it's put to a vote, so you know the numbers of people that vote <laughs> against you. <laughs> right. Um, I'm sure there are some people that could not see me as a senior pastor. They could just only view me as a youth pastor. And to be quite honest, I had a hard time with the transition. I had a hard time trusting my, my own call. I had a hard time trusting the authority position God had given me. Um, which I, th- I think led me in those first couple of years to cause myself a, a lot of self-inflicted wounds mm-hmm. um, that just came out of uh, immaturity, mm-hmm. um, for lack of better words. Sure. Let's talk about that a little bit. What, what, um, what, has, what, has been, uh, what have been some of your toughest struggling points of your ministry yeah. so far? I have a ton of them. Um, but there's one scene, I think I would say, that kind of culminates it all. Mm. Um, I remember, I'll, I might get choked up when I share this because it's very rare that I share this, although I have shared it before. I remember when um, my son was two and I was about to go to work. It was a random Wednesday morning. I was about to drive into the office but had just had a rough couple years. And uh, I remember holding him and kind of rocking, I was sitting on the floor with him in my living room and kind of rocking him back and forth and crying fairly uncontrollably. Mm. Um, And my wife came in and she said, well, just give me Daniel, just give me Daniel. And I think she was like, what is going on? You're clutching onto your son crying like let me have the kid and you can figure out what's happening with you and i kept saying no i can't give them to you i can't give them to you i can't give them to you and it took it took a fair bit of counseling and um, self-examination to figure out what was going on but at that moment that scene kind of 
culminates the picture for me for that struggle early on in ministry, which I'm not out of yet, which was I was convinced at that moment that uh, Daniel was the only one I didn't have to convince to love me or I didn't have to perform for. And so yeah. I just couldn't let go of him. Right. Because I knew as soon as I came to the office, I felt like I had to perform, I had to people please, I had to solve problems, I couldn't say no. It was more godly to burn yourself out than it was to rest. Uh, it was a lack of faith, it was a lack of trust, it was a lack of um, understanding how God's gifted me and different roles of authority. But at that moment, I was convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that uh, my two-year-old son was the only one who would just love me for me. Right. And so that, that started probably a period of depression uh, that lasted pretty intently uh, over a period of years, um, even to the point of considering uh, self-infliction. Um, I, you know, I never got to the point. I, I know the signs well enough to, to know when thoughts of um, self-harm should be uh, really considered as a cry for help and when they should just be considered as um, serious and we should probably always take them serious. Mm -hmm. But I also knew at that point I know I'm not thinking clearly about myself, so I don't even know how to obsess, you know, right. assess whether I'm thinking clearly about my own thinking. Uh, and yet ministry continues, and you uh, still have to get up and preach every seven days. It's just amazing. Sunday comes around every seven days. And you feel like you can't have a bad day, and you um, then you start to struggle with, Am I just faking this? Am I now? Am I just being hypocrite? How do I possibly ask the elders for help? I have to um, convince them that I can do this job so they don't think they made a mistake in hiring me, so I can't show weakness. Um, so it's a pretty vicious cycle hmm, yeah. there for a little while. Yeah. And it still can be. I mean, that, that pattern that minefield is never very far outside my front door. Right, right. So the, you know, the manifestations of, you know, trying to cope with that were more performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, digging in more deeply. How, how did that affect your family, your coworkers? You did, did they see it or were you able to kind of hide it? And Yeah, I've always been fairly vulnerable with things. Um, sometimes to a fault. So I think a, a large number of people saw some of my struggles. Um, but I'm also a kind of guy that doesn't like to ask for help. And so I think it manifested in a lot of people feeling very frustrated mm -hmm. uh, because they would want, they wanted to love me, they wanted to help me, I just wouldn't let them. <laughs> um, and oddly enough, I have a strange familiarity and comfort with being a martyr. Mm. So I feel somewhat um, good about feeling bad 
I guess is the way to say it. And uh, don't always feel good about feeling good. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so my martyrdom syndrome kind of played into that, Mm -hmm. um, which led, uh, manifested in any number of ways, frustrating my friends, overwork, making my wife feel isolated and not a part of the ministry, uh, then probably um, an illogical bitterness towards the ministry and cynicism of uh, congregation members that would just want something and uh, that would just feed my own martyrdom. And uh, ultimately, uh, an isolation from Christ because I, I didn't want necessarily help. I wanted to be able to work my way out of it. So, I mean, I feel as though it's just like a, uh, sometimes depression is a bomb going off and it takes a while to figure out where all the shrapnel went. Um, it's a great question, Corey. I need to think more about it. Well, you know, even as you're talking, uh, calling it martyrdom, there's, there's a sick comfort in the misery mm-hmm. um, because you I mean I think you, you feel like you have some sort of control over it mm-hmm. but you really don't have control over it at all mm-hmm. you think you do I mean you, because you can feel it you right. um, uh, you know you can keep people at bay or you can let them in you um, so no I, I appreciate you sharing that mm-hmm. um, so you know, you've used some past tense words, mm-hmm. but you've also said, but I'm still struggling, I'm still <laughs> working uh, this out. How did Christ, what, what are some, you know, characteristics about Christ or some, um, you know, particular promises from the scriptures or some provisions, um, external provisions that, that he brought to you to help you begin to maybe turn a corner? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot, and so let me try to summarize both some kind of internal things and some external things that happened. Uh, One of the external things that happened was God had put around me a lot of older pastors that were vulnerable with me and for whatever reason took an interest in me. And um, (laughs) I remember one in particular, I preached on this a couple weeks ago actually, I called them and I said, I just don't think I can do ministry for like another four years. I just, I don't think I'm going to survive this. And he said, oh, Andy, it doesn't matter. Who cares? It so took me off guard. And I said, what? He said, you don't need to worry about being a pastor. You need to figure out how to be a Christian. Oh, yes. And that, <laughs> right. that kind of shocked me. It was like smelling salts for the quarterback before he goes into the game. Mm. That kind of shocked me back to... This is not about how good I preach or whether people are like me or not. This is about whether I'm enjoying Jesus. And then another pastor said to me, I won't share their names because I don't have permission to, but another big name kind of in our circles, um, really spent a lot of time with me and said, uh, you have to live by these three rules. What other people think of you is none of your business. And if you spend time thinking about what other people think about you, it will kill you. Uh, And the only thing that matters is to think about what God thinks about you. That that one was so good. That took a long time to kind of digest. I still 
kind of digest and that's that. really tough yeah because they, they you know those voices haunt you I, mean, yeah. I, I find that those voices haunt you you yeah. again you kind of go back to that feeling of what other people think of you and it's hard to uh, it's a constantly coming back out of it to go okay no that's not important mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's tough yeah and you start it's very easy as a pastor to start running a personal PR campaign mm-hmm. rather than just enjoying Christ I th- Ironically, um, the Psalms helped a ton. Of course, Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed on the depths, you're there. If I rise to the wings of the dawn or settle on the far side of the sea, uh, even there my hand will guide you. My right hand will hold you fast. That idea of, okay, I'm here, says Jesus, what, where do you possibly think you could go where I won't be there? Um, that helped tremendously. Psalm 103 helped tremendously. And then the promise of Jesus, when he told the disciples in John 16, it is for your good that I must go. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit won't come. Um, that phrase and promise really helped because it helped me learn how to say no. Just the thought of these disciples clinging to Jesus and saying, you cannot leave us. And Jesus saying, no, that's actually for your good that I leave, otherwise the Holy Spirit won't be able to minister to you. Uh, With that resonating in my ears, uh, I could say to somebody on the phone at 10 o'clock at night, hey, I've got to put my kids to bed, and eventually you need to trust Jesus with this. I'm going to hang up the phone now. Where before, I would have been on the phone with them for two hours, and I wouldn't have solved any of their problems. They wouldn't have looked at Jesus to solve their problems, and I would have just grown increasingly bitter and cynical towards ministry. Right. And, and probably towards them. Right. And then I would have woken up myself in the middle of the night and hated myself for doing that. Um, so that little promise of Christ uh, was really helpful. Um, one more, I mean, I've got a ton of these that I could share, but probably John 10, 10, the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And just trying to think through, okay, if Satan wanted to take me out of the game, if the thief wants to kill and destroy, how's he going to do it with my personality? Mm, right. Okay, he's going to make me inward focus. He's going to make. I don't have a saviordom complex or a crusader complex. I have a martyrdom complex, and so he's going to use this and my personality and my moroseness to to try to make it all about me while I'm thinking it's not all about me. Right. Um, so how do I get life? You know, how would Jesus bring me life in this? So those, those were some of the ones that helped. Sure. And I, I actually I have a great wife, um, and I have a lot of really, really, really good friends in the church and outside of the church. So I never felt, I felt isolated from the Lord. I did feel lonely, but I also knew help is there. <laughs> um, I was just too prideful to ask for it or to run to it, I think. The last podcast I did, I asked um, the uh, person I interviewed, so what does, you know, 
I remember in, in college, the abundant life of Christ was really twisted. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what does abundant life in Christ look like? You used that passage a second ago. What does it look like even in the middle of the struggle? Mm-hmm. And what, so what does abundant life in Christ, what is it then? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think for me, um, because Christian ministry is one of those odd, in the South anyway, it's one of those odd professions where people have an opinion of how you're doing your job. Um, and when I have a, when there's a lawyer or a doctor, or a construction worker, a dentist, whatever in the church, I have no opinion of how they're doing their job, and my wife has no opinion of how they're doing their job, and. In ministry, just like the quarterback of your favorite football team or a politician, pretty much everybody in the stadium uh, has an opinion of how that quarterback's doing their job. So for me, I lived, I learned to live in the first couple years of ministry and still can fall back into this and living in the gifts of the Spirit and just trying to work out of natural gifting God has given me to impress or to keep things together. So I would say that's a long way around to answer your question, which is what does abundant life look like? I would say in summary, for me, abundant life looks like living more out of the fruit of the Spirit than out of the gifts of the Spirit. Am I, um, am I more loving today than I was yesterday? Uh, am I more patient? Am I being more kind? more gentle with people. Um, ministry uh, is going to be the same, uh, but am I changing? Am I growing closer to Christ, regardless of whether numbers or budgets or problems or situations are up or down? Uh, how's my heart doing? I, for me, that's how I would kind of describe the abundant life. Excellent. It does have a weird connotation, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad memories. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Excellent. Um, so you have moved to three services. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> well, you're preaching for me next week, so you'll find out. Uh, well, I'm practicing. I'm getting up at 5 a.m. <laughs> even now, speaking for 45 minutes, taking a 10-minute break, and doing that two more times yeah. just to <laughs> yeah. get ready for the marathon. Yeah, it, it, it is an odd feeling. You know, a lot of people have been very kind to ask me, what's it like to preach three times and you have kind of a 10-minute break before you kind of jump back in? But I've always said, look, it's not like I'm getting martyred for the faith like I told you Sunday morning it's not like I'm being persecuted I mean 99.9% of the pastors in the world would would love to have a church like I'm blessed to serve and pastor so if it means I'm a little bit more tired and my voice is a little bit hoarse on Sunday I'll do it uh, so yeah it's been okay it's been good we're I think growing in the right ways um, we're not growing too fast we're not growing too slow I, I feel good about our kind of growth rate and uh, if we need to preach 10 times in a row so people can hear about the Lord I'm, I'm totally willing to do it you but, chuckle <laughs> yeah. uh-huh yeah, yeah I feel maybe I shouldn't have said that on a recorded <laughs> podcast but <laughs> it is what it is that's right that's right yeah well good well thank you Andy
I appreciate it. That's that's incredibly encouraging. Yeah. Incredibly encouraging. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. to help however I can. I feel like the Lord is meets all of us. We all have our own stories. And um, I think one of the things that I feel like I'm learning now uh, is how to just be honest with myself, mm. which I really struggle with. I see a counselor now, which is, um, I think every, per- I feel like every person in ministry before you get ordained should have to be able to say, this is the name of my counselor I've already established a relationship with. Um, but the counselor I see, she's great. And um, she really, she's really working on me to help me be honest with myself and be comfortable with my own desires and dreams. Excellent. Which as a martyr, I'm not normally comfortable with that. That's great so, advice. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Second Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Those who are interviewed in the Fish Food podcast are people who have uniquely received God's mercy in their situations and have been willing with humble vulnerability to share that mercy uh, with the public. I want to say a big thank you to them for their bravery. May God bless them and bless their ministry to others. Be sure to visit us at fishfood.me and uh, do those three things that will help you and benefit us. One, share these podcasts with those uh, who may benefit from it. Secondly, become a patron. Go to our website, click on support, help us to continue this. And then thirdly, if you know somebody with a story of God's redemptive mercy, restorative mercy in their lives that would be willing to tell their story, shoot us an email. Uh, The the, uh, ability to do that is on the front page of our website. Thank you very much.